he said, do not try to save all the money you can, but think about how you can make more. And mm-hmm. that, that sticked with me uh, forever. And that's, that's usually like the, the common ground for entrepreneurship. So if you have a growth mindset, you typically find ways to either start something or join something where you can experience hyper growth. And that's, that's the only way to, 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 to become an international company is to, to have diversity inside of the company. Uh, a very important quality is risk tolerance. Uh, you should feel comfortable with change and with taking risks. I think many founders end up with uh, with degrading health at some point because actually this is a horrible job. I mean, it, it consumes you completely at some point and many points <laughs> you burn out many times. <laughs> Vasil actually, he's. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was telling him uh, Vasil from from Telekers, it's, uh, about uh, about burnouts in the company. He was like, "Oh, I hate when someone complains about burnouts. I mean, I burned out like hundreds of times. And, I mean, yeah, it's part of the <laughs> job." Very Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, it's uh, yeah, it's part of the game. Oh, okay. Hello and welcome to the Recursive Podcast. My name is Irina and it is my pleasure to host here today's guest, Miroslav Miroslavov, co-founder and CEO of Office R&D. Hello, Miro. Hi, Irina. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for so much for accepting our invitation. I would suggest that maybe in the beginning we go back in time um, to your first entrepreneurial journey. Uh, I think you set up your first business when you were 15 or 16. How did this affect your uh, life journey since then? Yeah, no, that's, a, that's an interesting story, actually. I think I wouldn't classify it necessarily as a business, uh, but uh, certainly it was an entrepreneurship uh, endeavor. Uh, so I'm from a, from a small town uh, in uh, north of Bulgaria called Pleven. So Pleven is not very... Uh, business savvy business. There aren't many opportunities for people to, to actually work. Um, so when we were uh, 15 with, uh, with a couple of friends, uh, we seriously were thinking about what can we do and where we can work uh, over the summer uh, holidays. Um, and there weren't anything out there that you can do. So that's like early 2000. And uh, We, we started brainstorming ideas, what we can do actually, how we can be uh, productive and, and help our families and ourselves uh, with, some, with some money and stuff. And we came up with the idea to, to set up a, uh, say a marketplace uh, for old um, uh, textbooks. So um, people uh, were able to, uh, to offer uh, their textbooks for, uh, for selling at a price uh, they wanted to. We could have had some uh, margin on top, uh, and then there was also a uh, price to place uh, the textbooks on the marketplace. So it was a very physical uh, thing. So we hired, uh, we rented a space, uh, we set it up. Of course, we got some help from our parents, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it actually we, we 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 even invested a little bit in marketing. So we we've got some publications out in the local newspapers and stuff. So it was a real uh, real thing. And it picked up real quick, like, I think by the end of the first summer, we probably sold more than several thousand books wow. uh, and, and, and textbooks and stuff. Uh, we made a lot of money, like it was, 
probably uh, for the summer period, uh, each we, we were uh, four of us or three of us, each of us made probably the same amount of money that our parents were making for a year. And we were like, <laughs> fuck, that works. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was very cool. Uh, and uh, yeah, we did that for the next uh, probably several uh, summers until we, we graduated high school. So that was ninth grade. We did it in 10th, 11th. And then uh, we graduated and we, we went all together to study computer science and that was the end of the, <laughs> the the textbook marketplace. That's an amazing story. I mean, if you were born in the States, I would say, okay, that's actually like a typical um, journey for a founder, but in Plevon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and your yeah. parents weren't um, entrepreneurs themselves? Uh, well, my father actually, uh, he was. Uh, he... Uh, he had a small firm uh, back in the days, probably one of the very first uh, companies in Pleven that was, uh, how it's called in English, setting up the, setting up the land after the, the, the regime uh, uh, went over. Uh, so it was to, to actually return the land to, to the people. I think uh, maybe privatization yes, after. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So he was, uh, I'm not sure in English, killed this. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Doesn't matter. We can check yeah, it out later. Yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> so he, he actually uh, used to have a, a company and probably that, that helped me, uh, helped me to, uh, to think about entrepreneurship as a possible opportunity. I mean, mm. uh, it was, it was very difficult. I even like remember the very early days of, uh, the difficult times in Bulgaria back then, when he was making a lot of money, uh, but the money actually literally disappeared overnight. It was like the, the hyperinflation uh, things. <laughs> I I literally remember that uh, he was explaining me, you know, uh, yesterday we had such amount and now <laughs> you cannot even buy like a... <laughs> Uh, Which year was that? Slow. That was the hyperinflation, I think, uh, 96, yeah, 97, probably, something. Probably I also uh, remember it as a very dramatic period, yeah. Yeah, so uh, he, I think he, he, he was having a company back then. <laughs> it was a challenging time, yeah. I guess uh, being an entrepreneur takes uh, also includes taking some risks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and sometimes things really go south. Okay, um, would you say that in a way he was your mentor? Is there... I was actually thinking, is there someone who really influenced um, your shaping as a as a as a person, as a as a founder? Um, Do you have a mentor? Yeah, totally. I think think throughout throughout the years, I've I've had many many people influenced uh, my entrepreneurship kind of journey. Certainly, the first one uh, was my father. Then the second one probably was actually my co-founder at Telerik, uh, at, 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 at Office D. Mm. So the other Miro's father. So he was actually, he's still having a uh, small uh, shop for, uh, for uh, custom-built furniture uh, in, in Pleven. And, and when we were super young, he, he, I remember super clearly how he told us, it's not important, and it's not the most important thing to save money, but it's to make more money. And I was like, I, I couldn't understand it at first, but then it started to, to shape out really like, wow, that's interesting. So it's, it's not just, in, in Bulgaria, we are naturally 
and probably in most of Eastern Europe, we're naturally bound to, let's save as much money as we possibly can because of certainty, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, it's super natural to not spend any money on anything. Uh, and that was very controversial for me back then. He, he said, do not try to spend, uh, to, to, to save all the money you can, but think about how you can make more. And mm-hmm. that, that sticked with me uh, forever. So that was like the second kind of mentor. And then probably uh, the next uh, layers of, of mentors were the Teleric founders and, and Vasil and Zarko. They definitely uh, helped me uh, a lot and, 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 sh- and, and yeah, basically shaped me as a, as a better entrepreneur. Mm. I thank you for mentioning Teleric. Actually, that was also my next question. So you studied computer science in Sofia and then you started uh, at some point at the Telerik company. What do you think was so unique about this company that it produced so many founders and uh, really cool individuals over the year? We actually refer to it as the Telerik Mafia. Yeah. What is so special about the Telerik Mafia? Back in the days, uh, there weren't... Uh, so when, when Telerik was, uh, was growing, uh, so say early 2010 and, 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 and a little before that, there weren't that many, uh, let's say, more typical startups in Bulgaria. Um, certainly, Teleric was the most recognizable name. Um, and I think, I think overall, that managed to, to attract a lot of the, not just high-quality engineers and high-quality professionals, but also... Uh, people with entrepreneurship mindset. I think also the uh, Christo, uh, who was the Christo Gergiev, who was the HR uh, at Telerik and also the Telerik founders, they did a really good job at hiring people that have a certain mindset mm. for growth. Uh, and I think that that basically stayed with the company until the end. So it was all about growth, personal and company and all of that. And that's that's usually like the the common ground for entrepreneurship. So if you have a growth mindset, you typically find ways to either start something or join something where you can experience hyper growth. And um, yeah, I think as a result, uh, when when Teleric was acquired, all those people with with growth mindset managed to to figure out how to <laughs> either start something or or join something that's uh, that's growing and they can contribute to uh, to the growth. And that was also the start of of Office R&D. From what I know, you sold your stock options yes after the acquisition and what did you learn from making that leap? Well, I mean first of all the the stock options uh were, I think, very important element of, of, of Telerik's success overall because um, I think the spillover effect was, was super important. So obviously, the Telerik founders could have been, I mean, they could have just uh, keep all the upside for themselves, uh, but they, they decided not to and to share it with as many people as they possibly can. And that, that certainly helped uh, trigger the next wave of entrepreneurs, I think, because it's so much easier to start a company when you already have some uh, some financial security. So after after me and Miro and, and so many other people cashed uh, the options, it's not like a life-changing uh, amount, but it's certainly an amount that can give you a couple of years of absolute freedom. Uh, and that's, I mean, <laughs> that's that's important. That's mm. important to, to make you feel 
safe and to make you feel in a mood that you can experiment, you can do stuff, you can lose whatever, but it's, yeah, you can, you can just try. What uh, did you do? What is the first thing that you do uh, after taking the money? Well, we didn't have any time actually to do anything because we literally, so uh, the, the acquisition was uh, about at the end of, 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 of 2014. Uh, I think we, we cashed uh, the options probably February uh, and uh, March, first week of March, we ended up in London uh, being part of the Pileups Accelerator with Opsanity. So we literally had a week of, <laughs> okay. of, of not doing much or actually we were pro probably doing uh, way more uh, than, than before because we were already working on Office Energy. So it was, yeah, there was no, no break at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't really experience any <laughs> joy, let's say. <laughs> there is this joke that we have, I think, in Bulgaria that you're going to rest when you <laughs> are yeah, dead, right? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great story. Um, and how much of, you know, the philosophy that uh, you have learned at um, Terrific back then are you applying now at Office R&D? Yeah, I mean, we, we're trying to apply uh, the whole of it. Um, everything, that we, everything that we remember, uh, even sometimes it feels like, I mean, we are not Telerik. To <laughs> 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 build something else, you know, uh, but there are so many people uh, from, from the mafia. We're trying to apply, of course, everything around the culture. So growth mindset is, is, is super important. Understanding that we're here to grow uh, and 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 help the company grow and satisfy the customers. The other thing that actually Teleric was notorious and 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 made it a huge success uh, was the customer first mindset. So the Teleric logo and motto was deliver more than expected, and that was like in the blood of of the company. Deliver more, deliver more, make the customers happier, do whatever it takes for the customer. And I think we also managed to. Not just keep that, but even take it to a next level at, at Office R&D, trying to, uh, yeah, customers as happy as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's that's super important. Obviously, from an entrepreneurship point of view, uh, yeah, all the options and all that, we, we set them up absolutely early on, like the first stage, and we're constantly sharing options with, uh, with employees. Uh, constantly adding more option pools and all that. So now with next rounds, we'll add another level of another pot of options. So mm. at the end, probably, uh, yeah, we will share uh, as much as, as, as it's possible with, uh, <laughs> with everyone from, mm. uh, from the company. You mentioned before that um, the customer first uh, mindset. I am thinking that you know, in our region, especially in the, let's say, ex-communist countries, this is not something which is inherent uh, in yeah. our philosophy, in our mindset. How do you develop that in a, in a company which is more or less based in Sofia? And how can we maybe even develop that more in the ecosystem, in our society? Yeah, well, I think, I think overall that's, uh, that's changing and the new generation is certainly having a different mindset uh, and, and, and that, that probably something we can see with uh, 
with more more and more new businesses, not just in the IT, uh, where I think in, in, in IT and tech, that's like common ground. You have no chance not to, to deliver an outstanding customer service. Uh, I think that overall we are seeing change in the in the entire ecosystem and and most now newer businesses let's say are focusing on the customer experience on the service they're offering and all that so i think it's it's a natural evolution i do hear you i mean historically eastern europe get it's horrible in customer service everywhere you go you're like oh i can't believe this <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's fascinating how bad it can be um but th- I think this will change inevitably. Mm-hmm. Probably the more difficult to change is, is actually real estate because still a lot of those people with, uh, with very backwards kind of mindset, they are owning the real estate and all these hotels on the seaside and restaurants. <laughs> it will take a while for them to change, uh, but they'll be forced to, I mean, I, I guess, I hope. Uh, I but hope so I think too. for... Yeah, for, for us and, and probably for most of the IT companies, it's super, super natural. I mean, you, you haven't really even thought about it. It's just the way it is. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. you either deliver an outstanding customer service or you, you don't have a customer. It's isn't very simple. That, isn't that the secret uh, for growing a, an international company, a global company? Is it you know, some kind of competitive advantage that you can use? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's 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 an absolute prerequisite. If you mm-hmm. want to build an international company, you have to be customer first, and overall, you have to be inclusive as well. Like, mm, you have to try to put yourself in the shoes of of the customers. You have to put yourself in the shoes of employees that are, let's say, not Bulgarians, not Eastern Europeans, but for example, Americans on, or British or Australians or whatever, because these we're all different people and and different races and whatever so if you don't you can easily make very big mistakes (laughs) like like especially especially inside the company if you if you let some some i'd say eastern european kind of uh, stuff to to propagate in the company culture that can be a disaster uh, if you try to be international company give me an Uh, example I mean, Eastern European stuff. I think I think one one good example is we have a different uh, we have a different perception for racism and for uh, diversity and inclusion and in general, and it's not like we are bad people or something. We just ha- we just haven't experienced it the same way as, say, the Americans have experienced mm. it, and therefore the sensitivity is different. And if we don't understand that, things that for us may may seem like I mean, it's not like I don't like these people, but it's just whatever. I mean, we, we just have a higher sensitivity, uh, lower sensitivity for uh, for these problems. And that can create really big problems mm. along the way. And I've seen it in all kind of Bulgarian, American companies I've been <laughs> part of. Uh, we just, the, the, the different the different sensitivity can result in a really significant uh, issues. So... It's important for us to to travel more and experience more different cultures and understand that different people are different and they have different history and you cannot joke the same way with everyone the way you're joking with with your friends in Levin. 
example. I hear, you. <laughs> I hear and I totally understand you. I had some experience in, in Austria and I remember my first time when I was telling a, a Jewish joke. Sorry yeah. for it. And uh, the reaction back then was totally different in Vienna than, um, you know, something that we are used to at school yeah, in yeah. Bulgaria. And then it also made me think about diversity. Yeah. Um, great point that you're actually bringing up. Um, so when we speak about the ecosystem, would you say that if we want to become like a, a really competitive innovation destination, we need to develop a more inclusive mindset and welcome diverse people, maybe from all over the world yeah. uh, and, you know, attract them. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Totally. Yeah. I think that's, that's the only way to, 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 to become an international company is to, to have diversity inside of the company. Mm. The diversity inside of the company creates, um, opportunities and, and, and set up a mindset uh, that helps you conquer the bigger market out there. Mm-hmm. We've mm-hmm. always tried to have diversity inside the company. So we have literally all the different races out there, all the different religions, all the different, as, as many nationalities as we possibly can. And, and we love it. I mean, we seriously try to, to be as diverse as possible. It's not easy in Bulgaria, honestly, because there aren't that many. But uh, anywhere else, uh, yeah, I love mm. it. It's and, and it, it, it's so so amazing when you actually also bring these together and 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 people learn from each other. I think that's a tremendously valuable thing. And and the only way to really be a global successful company. I mean, I don't want to sound like a corporate diversity and inclusion officer. <laughs> Because <laughs> they're so full of BS, in my opinion. But uh, um, that, especially for for the new generation of companies, the earlier you set it up, the better. Um, and and not wait for for like Uber to become a massively successful company just to figure out that your culture is a complete mess because of yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Thank you for this example. And if you're just as passionate about innovation as we are, hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere. We often refer to our startup ecosystem as a bubble. And Mm. I've been thinking many times of, um, maybe you can also think with me on on that matter. How can we multiply the success of the the startup ecosystem, the IT Mm. uh, bubble in other sectors? Um, in our economy, and but also in our society at large. Yeah. Well, I think we just need to blow the bubble mm-hmm. as much as we possibly can. <laughs> I mean, we need to make it as big as, as as we can. And and when we make it huge, it will spill over everything else, uh, obviously, because the more people uh, get their developer or whatever uh, salaries, the more they will spend it on, on so many things. And now, especially, by the way, with COVID, I think the spillover effect will be amazing throughout the entire country, not just Sofia, because so many people will be able now to work from Velikutarnovo, Varna, Plovdiv, whatever. Uh, and, and they will still have 
almost the same salaries as 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 in Sofia, and mm. and this will this will help everything else. Inevitably, they will be able to buy expensive things. They will be able to spend the money in in local businesses and and local services, and those people are not afraid to spend money. I think that's also a big difference that's uh, that's going on. Like. The, the 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 new generation is is okay to pay for services, which is which is amazing. I mean, uh, this is how 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 you can create opportunities for other businesses because when when there is enough critical mass to pay for for services, you can create actually high quality services and and therefore become a reasonably good business. So I think the more the more successful startups and 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 I would say product companies we built even better. I think there is a huge difference between blowing the bubble with outsourced teams and 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 product companies where and and not just product companies but actually product companies where the equity value remains in Bulgaria. So okay. there is a huge difference in in the equity being in Uber, and yeah, it's 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 a product company with a product team in Bulgaria, which is nice. I mean, it's 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 good. However, being a product company with the equity being owned by Bulgarians, it's another level of good thing because the Teletic spillover effect happened because the equity was owned mostly by Bulgarians, and therefore <coughs> their ability to make a difference is very different after the exit. So obviously the founders, but also all the other employees like myself and another few hundred people. <laughs> they it's not that just they they made like a, a good living uh, while Teledic was growing and our salaries were pretty good, but also when that equity converted to cash that was 260 million dollars almost completely back in the ecosystem. I mean, yeah, there was some it fine, <laughs> but like huge part of that was stayed in Bulgaria and and started to multiply, like blowing the bubble up. <laughs> and there is now Office R&D, there is Payhawk, there is GTM Hub, and so many other uh, great companies. I'll bring you back to this uh, to this topic in a bit later in the conversation. But before that, I will, because you mentioned also the COVID, I wanted to ask you a bit more about um, the past year mm-hmm. because. I can only guess that uh, managing office spaces and, and offices wasn't really a big thing in 2020 and maybe still yeah. is difficult. Managing an empty office uh, <laughs> is, is great. <laughs> yes. So how were you dealing with the, with the COVID crisis and, and the situation? What, what did you do? Yeah, I mean, we, we expected a full, complete apocalypse uh, because obviously... Uh, we thought most working spaces will be literally uh, wiped out because... Uh, the beauty of co-working and flexible workspace is this flexibility that can give you, uh, you can literally cancel your contract and move out and and there is nothing to uh, to stop you. And we thought, okay, they, they, they're going to lose all their customers and therefore they'll shut the doors and, and we'll cancel Office R&D. Fortunately, uh, that didn't happen. Uh, they lost a lot of customers, but not all of them. So 
unlike the hospitality industry in, in, in the real estate where you have restaurants and hotels where you have high transactions volume, like you need someone to physically walk in uh, in order to actually use the service and therefore get some payment. Uh, in, in the offices, even in co-working spaces, most companies still had to keep some of their offices open uh, and therefore, for example, we scaled our office, but we still kept half of it because there was constantly people actually using it when they, they could. Um, and as a company, you cannot just say, okay, we're not going to have an office. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> so, um, so a lot of our customers lost members, but only like, I'm saying only, uh, which for them it's huge, but it's not like a, a, a complete disaster, like 20, 30% of their membership. So they dropped occupancy from 90% to say 60%, but that was enough for them to survive. And therefore to keep us there uh, and, and, and so forth. So from that perspective, yeah, it was a very difficult year, uh, but uh, a very exciting year from the perspective of what's coming in the post-COVID world. So we always knew that's gonna result in even more demand for flexibility. Okay. The question was, is it gonna be in a year time, in two years time, or in five years time? Because in not five probably. I mean, if we if we stick if COVID sticks around for five years, that's gonna be <laughs> a huge disaster. But um, we always knew at some point. I mean, it's not like at the beginning, but at some point we realized, uh, probably like month three, we realized. That's going to be huge in the future, uh, but we don't know when is that future. So let's try to preserve our investment in cash now so that we can start growing when we can see the, the, the end of it. Mm -hmm. And this is what we did probably a few months ago. So a few months ago, we, we, we thought, okay, we're seeing the end of it. Also, we clearly see the signs of demand for flexible spaces growing to a much higher levels than pre-COVID. And we thought, okay, let's go. <laughs> and we, we pushed, uh, we pushed on, on, on hiring and, and everything that we can uh, so that we are ready for the new reality. We opened up a completely, a whole new world uh, for us, uh, which is uh, so-called hybrid work. So we are now gonna introduce in the upcoming weeks, a whole new product. Uh, which is to actually manage a distributed workplace, uh, which, for example, is, say, Office R&D is um, a 120 people company in, uh, in Bulgaria, and we have two HQs in Sofia, not one, but two, so that people actually have options, and then few uh, so-called hub uh, spokes, uh, so, or, or basically smaller hubs in other cities. So, for example, in Plovdiv, Varna, and whatever, uh, and people can work in a hybrid way where a certain time, depending on the position. So some positions require more collaborations mm -hmm. with, with other team members and teams overall. Other positions do not require such a thing. So they can be either fully remote, if they're super technical, or partially remote, like a few days from home, a few days from, <laughs> from, uh, from a local, and I'm saying local, or maybe on HQ. So is the result is basically a complicated 
network of, of workspaces where people can work from mm-hmm. <laughs> and and to manage that uh, it's a, it's a challenge so we we actually are introducing a new a new product line which is built specifically for that niche okay. it's so called hybrid work yeah <laughs> so you say that uh, we're moving towards a more complex model of uh, mm, how do we build offices and how do we uh, work together in office spaces? And you adapt it in such a way that, uh, you know, the management that is going to need to um, mm. manage this complex system is yeah. going to be office R&D, okay? Yes. I'll just give you a glimpse of, 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 a, of a couple of, let's say, features or, or benefits of using such a platform. So basically it's to be able to define the the workplace policy of the company so for example these teams needs to be working together certain amount of time in a in a cooperation environment like the office and then give the tools in the hands of the employees to actually organize that book it and then be able to track uh the results so Did they follow the, uh, the 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 corporate policy and how you utilize the space at the end of the day? So, for example, we are 120 people. We have in total 60 dex- desks in in few hubs. Did we really use 60 desks? Were we at like 100% occupancy? If so maybe we use we need a little bit more because maybe some people weren't able to to book because there wasn't availability. Maybe we need less. Therefore, we can. Uh, s- reduce the size of certain locations. Maybe mm-hmm. in certain locations we need more, but it others less because it's less attractive or whatever. Not many people live nearby and that kind of stuff. So now we will be giving the tools, the hands of the end companies. The, the the idea basically is that most companies will work in a hybrid hybrid way, I think, and and it's very much related to the flexible working because. The result of hybrid working is a flexible working. You cannot have a hybrid work and every single person in the office having a dedicated desk because if you're only going to the office two days, it's unreasonable to have your own desk if you're only going to use it like 30% of of the time. And, And that's a huge cost for the company. So... To, to, to change that, basically, uh, first of all, you need a platform and then you introduce hybrid way of working. Mm-hmm. Uh, most companies already did that, like Google announced it, Apple announced it, whoever. Every, every, every other company already announced it. There are some banks <laughs> going in the, in the opposite in direction, the direction. Uh, but uh, it's fair. I mean, I think overall in the future of work, we'll see, we'll see everything. We'll see companies pushing completely to the old way of doing things, companies pushing way too much in the new way, which probably might not work at the, at, at the times because for different reasons. I think overall the future of work will settle somewhere in the middle <laughs> and, and, and we'll, see, uh, we'll see all of it. I can only imagine that we're entering uh, an, an, a stage where we will be experimenting with uh, the office space uh, as it is. I imagine it also that at some point we will build it as a, I call it sanctuary, mm. you know, a physical space where you can relate to uh, certain values, to um, 
a community to when yeah. you develop also a certain sense of belonging because this is what i sensed uh, over the over the pandemic at some point that we were so remote and we were fully equipped to to work remote from the beginning of of our organization but we somehow missed you know the the physical space because i think our brains are still very connected to physical spaces yeah 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 no totally and then at the end of the day we want to see each other i mean it's good to see each other it's good to have a physical contact with people it's true. it's very natural at the end true and, uh, so adaptability is definitely you know part of uh of the mindset uh, of a fast-growing company, what is what else would a founder need in the stage that you are currently at? And from what I see, when I look at the numbers, you are growing at this point very fast and uh, very intense. Uh, yeah, How do you I manage think, that. I think probably uh, a very important quality is risk tolerance. Uh, you should feel comfortable with change and with taking risks and uh and and just feel yeah comfortable when you are replacing the engine of the plane while you're flying <laughs> it sounds horrible but sometimes you have to do that and and if you panic obviously the result will be <laughs> uh, yeah death um so the only uh, reasonable thing that you can do is to just stay calm and and and, and push forward. And I think overall risk taking is something that that can be improved overall in 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 Eastern Europe and in Bulgaria. I think overall we we have a very little tolerance for risk taking as a as a nation, and even even in all the all the tradition and and all the kind of traditional saying and what mothers and grandmothers are saying it's all about not taking risks and stay safe and whatever which is the absolute opposite of what you should be doing as an entrepreneur and a founder disregarding what stage you are even uh, we are now a hundred people company it's still the tolerance for risk taking should be super high because this is the only way you can keep innovating, keep growing, and and, and keep making a, a, a change that's necessary because everything's changing super fast. So you need to feel comfortable with all that. Otherwise, you're either stress out too much and, <laughs> and give up or, or, or you're not going to make fast enough moves. Is sport somehow helping you to stay calm? You say often that it's a fundamental part of your everyday life. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I think I think sport is, for me personally, it's uh, it's the only way to stay <laughs> sane. Uh, probably people have different different ways. Uh, that's that's my thing. Uh, so first of all, it gives me um, <clears throat> obviously the energy boost and 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 staying healthy and fit, but also uh, gives me this competitiveness and 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 a place where you can be competitive uh, i think that's also very helpful overall as an entrepreneur to be really competitive i mean at the end of the day you you you, you have to want to win <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah it, i mean it's important to to play the game for the game but also i mean and especially 
especially in tech entrepreneurship, it's very unfortunate thing. I mean, there is only one winner usually in every category. And if you're not the one winner, it's a very difficult place. The second position in every SaaS business and in every tech business, it's very difficult position. It's like barely making a living. And then the third position, it's not good. <laughs> so you're not okay with the second or the third place. I mean, often you also say that you admire sports people, or, you know, tennis players like Djokovic or yeah. Federer who have this kind of mindset of winning at all costs. Would you say that you're like that? Yeah, I admire them. I'm not like that. Uh, I'm trying to be more like that, to be honest. Um, I'm more like Grigor uh, Dimitrov, which I don't like. Very honest because he's really, he's really, in my opinion, uh, very amateur opinion. I would say uh, the kind of guy that's having all the technical, uh, um, and he, he's as good as, as everyone else in the top three in terms of physical and, and technical um, abilities. But the mentality is not the same. Uh, so he's not going to win at any cost. I think even Maria Sharapova uh, in her book, he, he mentioned that uh, he's the kind of guy that wants to win elegantly with a beautiful game. <laughs> and okay. when your game is not... And in tennis, it's a very horrible uh, game. I mean, when things don't work, they just don't work and you, you cannot change it and it gets worse. So... When he is not playing well, he, he's fine to lose. I mean, he's just okay. I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm not playing well. This guy deserves to, to win more than I do. Djokovic, Nadal and Federer, they don't give a shit. They don't lose. Never, ever, ever, ever. I mean, they will die there literally, but they are not going to let anyone else win. <laughs> that's, that's a huge difference. And I'm personally not exactly like this. I'm somehow too nice uh, in many occasions, uh, which helps, but it's also a concern. And it depends on the circumstances. So this may lead you to a very big success in some markets, but in other markets, certainly you'd better be like Djokovic and, and, and Nadal. Okay. You'd better be like them because the others won't let you be nice there and win. They will just crush you completely. I see. And um, our market for now is is fine, but it's getting more and more competitive because now it's growing, and we'll have to up our game significantly in terms of competitiveness and our willingness to win at any cost. <laughs> Uh, by the way, from, from that perspective, I remember at Telerik, it was crazy. I mean, we were so competitive that you cannot even imagine the whole the whole concept of, and, and the whole, I mean, yeah, customer first, that's always been the case. However, I remember super clearly our competitors, we, we were having them in front of us daily and everyone was dedicated to learn everything about them and figure out how to be better than them at any cost, any cost. Like there is nothing you should not do in order to, uh, to crush them, be better than them and whatever. And, and that's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's, by the way, it's, it's challenging. I mean, it's, uh, it's something that um, uh, we are not used to uh, in Bulgaria, but I think especially 
I think the Americans usually are so much better than us in this. They're so competitive and so, yeah, dedicated to winning. I have always imagined, you know, that the attitude of winning at all costs is somehow connected to ego. And I wanted mm. to bring you also to something else that yeah, I, I wrote about true, your yeah. culture that mm. um, maybe it, it's not valid anymore. But uh, you say in one interview that your motto at Office R&D is that I don't have a, we don't have an ego. Yeah. We left ours at home. Isn't that somehow um, disturbing the attitude of winning at all costs and the competitiveness? Probably, yeah. I mean, it's kind of related to being nice, uh, I think. Um, and um, yeah, but also, I, th I I would say, I would say, if you're Djokovic, you can be out there and say, "I'm the number one," because you're fucking number one. <laughs> I mean, it's you're not gonna lie. But if you are, if you're Grigor and you come out and say, "I'm the number one," and everyone will be like, mm, "Are you really?" <laughs> and you behave like number one. Well. No. Yeah. <laughs> and I, th I think the ego usually it's like not uh, letting yourself um, be fooled that you are better than someone else. Okay. And what, so not having an ego, for example, is to be open and with yourself and saying, yeah, actually, this competitor did a better job. It's bad, it's difficult. But we didn't do that good of a job. They did a better job. Mm. So how can we how can we be, be better next time? Mm. And and usually having the high ego won't let you uh, accept that. It will be like and now and then figure out a million reasons why they did better and 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 just you know explain to yourself <laughs> that it's not your fault. It's something else happened. Whatever. Something outside of you, but something objective exactly. <laughs> in the environment. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. and I think these two. I mean, and even 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 these absolutely top players, you're rarely gonna see them having a super high ego and saying that they are the number one and whatever. I think. Okay. I mean, it depends. I mean, you have to have an ego, by the way, and it, it, but that that's a very difficult topic. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean. It, it is somewhat part of being a leader uh, to, to have a confidence, but you have to, to figure out the boundaries and, and when it's your fault and whatever and be, be open-minded and be kind and, in, and nice enough to, to accept it and be able to say it out loud. Yes, mm -hmm. I made a mistake. It's my mistake. I take responsibility. <laughs> And no, I'm not the number one thing. <laughs> I remember once I was listening to uh, a pilot, like mm. a real pilot who was, uh, you know, uh, flying a plane. And he mentioned a phrase that I really liked, which was confident humility. Okay. Yeah. You know, being humble enough to accept that you're a human being and you're going to make mistakes. You're prone to make mistakes. This is who you are. It's yeah. in, in your DNA. Although you're making mistakes, still remain confident in your abilities and in your skills. I think this is very difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah. 
So I promised you that uh, I would like to uh, bring you back to the topic of exit. <laughs> okay. So uh, I know that this is a hypothetical game, but um, still, how do you envision yourself as, uh, you know, the co-founder of uh, Office R&D, like, let's say in five years? You managed a successful exit. Mm. Mm, you're an investor, you're a mentor. Okay. Uh, maybe you're retired on a yacht somewhere in <laughs> the Caribbean. I don't know. You name it. What is your vision uh, for yourself as a, as a founder at this stage? Right. Well, yeah, I've been thinking about that. I'd love to start another company. It's, <laughs> it's, really, it's really the case. I, I don't think whatever successful exit it is, I don't think... I will be uh, I will be either retiring or or becoming a professional investor or something like that. I'd be another founder. Okay. I I I prefer to be in the trenches and and and, and start over. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and I I think that's by the way something something good, and I hope more people will um, will be. Um, how to say it, repeating founders or whatever. Serial. Uh, serial, serial founders. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because I mean it 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 adds value. Uh, that you you learn the what. You'd better use that. You'd better use that again. And and it's not a coincidence that guys like Elon Musk can start three companies, five companies, hundred companies, and they all be successful because they they really know things that most of us don't because we haven't really experienced it before. They did, and that allowed them to uh, to start again and 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 be be successful again. Mm. So they figured out something about entrepreneurship that is unique, regardless of you know how many yeah. agencies you're building a company. Yeah, okay. I think so. I think I, th I think many founders that been through this they figured so many things and 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 that's a knowledge uh, that you can try to translate it to other people with uh, with mentorship. And I'd love to do that. I'll certainly do it, and I'm trying even now to do it. Uh, but you cannot transfer all the knowledge and certainly giving another try and starting another company, I think it's, it's a really good thing. Mm. Of course, it depends on the state of, of your physical state. I think it's very important also to take good care of yourself. I think many founders end up with, uh, with degrading health at some point because actually this is a horrible job. I mean, it, it consumes you completely at some point and many points <laughs> you burn out many times and Vasil actually he's uh, <laughs> I, I was I was I was telling him Vasil from from Telerik Terzievs uh, about uh, about burnouts in the company he was like oh I hate when someone complains about burnouts I mean I've burned out like hundreds of times and I mean yeah it's part of the <laughs> job yeah yeah so I think uh, it's uh, yeah it's part of the game <laughs> oh okay we call the recursive the recursive because um, in a way we believe that uh, when you repeat something just as you said about entrepreneurship you actually become better uh, it's not the you know, a repetition, but it, it's not a cycle, a catch-22, but it's more like a spiral. And I think this refers also very good to innovation. And in this sense, um, I would like us, you know, to think 
I would like you to think of a question that will give a kick to the conversation with our next guest. We call this the recursive question at the podcast. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's 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 amazing. Great. Okay. Oh, well. Uh, so let me give me a second. So we are on the topic of exit. So say theoretically, um, you make a huge exit like the UI path type of exit mm. where it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar company and you cash out more than a billion dollars. Where and how do you invest a billion dollars in Bulgaria? So no way to avoid it. Um, yeah. I have one last question and it's a bit philosophical. Mm. So thinking back maybe even further in time in the future, what do you want to be remembered for? Oh, that's a very, very good one. Uh, certainly being a good person, that's fine. Uh, second, yeah, making, making a difference in the entrepreneurship ecosystem in Bulgaria. Like, I think overall that's the only reasonable way to, to make a better country out of our territory <laughs> so entrepreneurship is the only reasonable endeavor in my opinion to um, to drive it forward because everything else follows like if we have successful businesses um, we'll end up with uh, with a better country for for everyone uh, so I hope to be remembered as someone who helped in this journey <laughs> Thank you for this answer. Um, I really hope that uh, you will figure out, you know, this hack of how to be nice and to present entrepreneur, still competitive and uh, contribute to a more entrepreneurial country where we all can benefit from. Thank you very much well for being here Thanks, with Nina. us today and uh, I wish you lots of success and uh, keep your visions before you. I heard that it's actually helping <laughs> achieving that. <laughs> That's true, I guess. <laughs> Thanks so much for uh, for having me and all the, all the best for you and, and the Recursive. Thank you. Tune in next week for the second episode of the Recursive Podcast. Georgi talks to one of the co-founders of Telerik and Telerik Academy, Svetozar Georgiev. Well, on a purely emotional level, uh, I, I feel good when I'm helping others and, and, and giving back. Uh, I honestly actually feel better when I'm giving than when I'm receiving something. Uh, and I'm pretty sure this is fundamental psychology and many people are, are like this. Uh, but, but more important than that is the, the fact that I try to, um, to act as a catalyst, you know, not just um, provide uh, uh, funding or, or in-kind help which would uh, then disappear or which is not enough to move the needle. Uh, I try to, uh, to invest in areas uh, where this could start an avalanche, where I can you know, tip, tip something and then it somehow can grow and, and, and be sustainable and I accidentally use the, the, the word invest a second ago. But I really treat uh, my philanthropical um, activities as an investment, as an investment in the future, uh, investment in, into organizations or in uh, 
um, uh, communities, which uh, I might not get uh, direct return in some way, and that's not the goal, but I'll certainly get an indirect return by, you know, enjoying a uh, uh, better environment, uh, better society, or, or, or just knowing that I managed somehow to help others uh, uh, alter their lives for, for the better. And if you are just as passionate about innovation as we are, hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.